If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of the Bible that uh, far too many of us are embarrassed by. It is the book of Song of Solomon. Um, I would say maybe next behind Obadiah. Um, other than prepubescent boys, uh, very few Christians read this book. And we read it, uh, and we fail to read it to, to our detriment. Um, this is a uh, book that is always worth returning to, studying, and applying. We looked at this morning uh, conflict between David and Michal. So, and how they talk to each other is really going to come into the narrative next week. Uh, so what we want to do is see the opposite. So we see a bad example this morning. We want to see a positive example this evening. So Song of Solomon chapter 1, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's word. We'll read verses 5 to 10, uh, but we will be looking at other passages as well. We won't do the whole book, but just sort of a few highlights here and there. Solomon, or one who writes in his name, writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your necks with strings of jewels. And we'll stop there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for this text. Open our eyes and our ears, our hands, our feet, our minds, our mouth, um, that we would go in obedience to Christ. Help us understand this passage and apply it to our lives. May I decrease so you can increase. Name, name your son, we pray. Amen. Seated. Many years ago, a Louisville radio station put together a list of what they called what men really mean when they say. Okay? Now, this is usually, it's, it's what do women really mean when they say. Or this is what do men really mean when they say. For example, it's a guy thing. Means, of course, quote, there is no rational thought pattern connected with it, and you have no chance at all of making it logical. Uh-huh. And sure, honey, or yes, dear, really means absolutely nothing. All right. It would take too long to explain, the mansplain, I should say, I guess, really means I have no idea how it works. Right? That's one of the things I've learned in ministry is whenever someone says people are sane, what they really mean is I'm sane. I just don't, I don't, I just don't want to look bad. Right? It takes you a while to figure that out, but once you do, it is golden. That's interesting, dear. really means are you still talking? Right? <laughs> I thought this conversation had been over with. Um, you know how bad my memory is. Really means, I remember the theme song to Top Gun, the address of the first girl I ever kissed, and the vehicle identification number of every car I've ever owned. But I forgot your birthday. <laughs> the joke goes that a wife said to her husband, our, neighbor's ki our neighbor kisses his wife every morning before going to work. 
Why don't you do that? The husband responded, how can I? I don't even know her. Well, the point is, is that some of you don't know if you can laugh at that joke or not. It's okay. The point is, is that the way husband and wives talk to each other is often we talk past each other. Communication certainly is a struggle. And what it is that we get in Song of Solomon is a whole lot of talking. In fact, it won't be surprising to anyone here, especially those who've been married for 10 or 15 minutes, will we'll discover that uh, the, the bride here is the term I use. Your Bibles may call her or she or bride or something like that. And that, that's because they're picking up on the Hebrew language there. Um, but, but she does the majority of the talking. He does the majority of the doing, right? Whenever there's an action scene, he's usually at the center of it. Whenever there's dialogue, she's usually at the center of it. The application for that is, should be quite, quite obvious. So what I want, us to, I want to look at him and how he loves his wife or the bride. And I want to look at her and how she loves her groom. Let's start here, verses 5 to 10. We'll pick up verse 15 as well, but at least verses 5 to 10. Notice how he verbalizes his love for his wife. Now, I know this is controversial now, but men and women are different. And there's no way around that. We, We can deny that even to the point of confusing genders and everything else. But men and women are fundamentally different. I believe they are complementary, but they are different nonetheless. Women are very verbal. Men are very visual. And what we find in this uh, book is that he loves his wife verbally while she loves her husband visually. Now, ladies, have you ever tried, being that your men are visual, have you ever tried to have a conversation with your husband while the game is on? How well does that go? Can I just tell you why that is? Being that men are visual and not verbal, we would rather stare at the television than listen to anything. Did, did that, was that too offensive for you? Some of you are like, I just can't believe it. it, it that's why. That, that's the reason why. Even if muted, he will struggle to pay attention. One of the things my wife likes to point out is that I have, I have, uh, I remember like random things, like like the joke earlier about I remember my vehicle identification number, but not your birthday. There's reason why that joke can can work is because there's an element of truth to it. Being that men are visual, what we do is we take pictures with our mind, and so I can take you in certain restaurants that we haven't eaten at in years, and I can take you to the exact spot we ate on a date ten years ago. It isn't because I have a great memory. It's because for whatever reason, my mind took a picture of that spot. I remember where we were related to, to, to the kitchen or to the door or to, or to this or that. And I can remember specifically, if we come back to a restaurant, I may even make comment. You know, last time we were here, I think we sat right over there. Or even maybe what, what she wore at this or that event or, or something that, that we passed along the way or some experiences. It's not because it was impactful on my life, but because I've taken pictures with my mind's eye. And so we men naturally file images, good, bad, praiseworthy, negative, and, and uh, often they, they return Unannounced, right? You just have random. I remember when we did this. I remember that, that particular scene and whatnot. Women have a similar experience, but not with 
images, but with words. Where men are more visual, women are more verbal. Where men need to see, women in general need to hear. This is why withdrawal, silence, and absence are deadly to a marriage. A man who refuses to express affection for his wife is not loving her as she needs him to love her. Our words can either be a hammer or a flower in this instance. They will either bless or destroy. In fact, I think what we have here in this opening chapter is a great picture of that. Think about it. Whenever, whenever we say, open your Bibles to the Song of Solomon, what you assume is, oh, no, it's going to be that discussion. And that's because when you were a prepubescent boy, you read one chapter out of it. It's chapter 7. And it is a wonderful chapter in its context. But Song of Solomon is about much more than the wedding night. It is about, uh, about love, and particularly relational love in general. Notice here, right at the beginning, the, the groom has, has obviously expressed some uh, affection for her. And there is a, this contrast between the bride who is lowly on the socioeconomic ladder. The groom is up higher on the socioeconomic ladder. He's like sort of the king, and, and she, she is not. And her response to his advances is not yes or no. Or finally, the man of my dreams is walking to my life. Her immediate response is to shrink into a negative sense of the self. I mean, just notice the language there. Verse 5, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons, her brothers, notice she, she doesn't refer to them as her brothers, My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards. This is a language of body image, isn't it? Her response is, I can never measure up to that. And every day, every morning, she she looks in the mirror and she gets this sense that she doesn't measure up. She isn't good enough for him. So what you get here in these opening verses is a Cinderella story. Granted, there's no pumpkins or a perfect fitting slipper. But what we have is someone who is in some type of abusive family. I mean, we don't have all the details here. Uh, She's perpetually lonely, and she's discomforted with the face and body she sees in the mirror. Look, in every culture from the beginning of time until now, beauty, particularly feminine beauty, is defined by that which is impossible to reach by the average woman. Can I prove it to you? When I was in Africa... uh, we, this conversation came up, and they were talking about how in this very poor third world nation of Niger, they would still have beauty contests. Guys would have their wives and daughters would not have beauty contests. You want to know how they got their, their, their women ready for a beauty contest? They didn't go shopping for, for, for a new getup. Okay? They didn't do that. They fed their, the women rice and whatever high-calorie food they can find. Because in a country that is starving to death, being overweight is beautiful. And you think, that's odd. Yeah, because in our country, everyone is overweight, so being underweight is considered the epitome of beautiful. You, you see the problem? In our country now, to, to darken the skin is, is, is beautiful. But a hundred years ago, the average woman was trying to lighten the skin because that was considered beautiful. You see the point? 
Beauty is always defined by that which is unattainable by the average woman. It is really, I say the word beauty, we should use the word prettiness there because there is a difference. No woman can measure up to a society's definition of prettiness, including the bride of this love poem. Now, this is why one of the reasons I, I do love this text, because I think this is very practical and is right from, from the beginning. And so, and so, so how he responds to her is going to be very important for the health of their relationship. I came across a study that asked a group of kids uh, what their view of marriage and romance was. First question, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek, age eight, said, quote, married people usually look happy to talk to other people, right? <laughs> Eddie said, quote, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. How do you make a marriage work? Johnny, age seven, said, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she doesn't. Well, she wants to know, not, am I beautiful? She wants to know, am I beautiful to him? And in a pornographic age where women are bombarded with unrealistic expectations, the importance of love, affection, and affirmation is even more important. Notice his response starting in verse Hey, by the way, let me just make one comment. It speaks of her dark skin. This isn't a racial comment. It's, it's a comment about her socioeconomics. If you have to work outside, you get tanned, right? This is why uh, uh, state workers don't have tans. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that. But she has to work out. It's Cinderella. Her brothers are making her work outside of the vineyard. Therefore, in an agricultural society where everyone works outside, lighter skin is defined as beautiful. She doesn't have lighter skin, therefore she can't be beautiful. You see, that? that's, that's the reference there. Verse 8, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, that's a good start, isn't it, ladies? Follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. I don't know anything about Pharaoh's chariots, but I don't know, just compare it to a Mustang. That'll probably work fine, won't it? Like the car Mustang. Hey, we're in Kentucky. The horse Mustang, too. Thoroughbred, if you feel better. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with strings of jewels. Did you see that? Did you see that? He bought her decoration items for, for her, right? She, she, she's got earrings. She's got necklaces. Diamonds. Diamonds means shoes, I think. Shoes means new purse, no doubt. New purse means shopping spree for a new dress, right? I'm, I'm sure uh, it's in the Hebrew, no doubt. They, he, he took her to, to the mall. But notice how he speaks to her, not with frustration, with eye rolling, but with care. And we should compare his response to her brother's treatment of her. They couldn't care less about her. They couldn't care less, of, at, least, at least in chapter 1. They, they, come, they show up later at the end of the book. The groom clearly loves her. This is verbal affirmation. And notice how specific he is. It's one of the things you'll find in Song of Solomon. It isn't, you're pretty, dear. Can we get going? But rather, it is, it is the process of expressing what he, what he loves about her the most. Not just the physical, of course, but more than that. She will do the same uh, later and, and, and to be very, very specific. And he responds, particularly in, in chapter 17 or chapter 7, the, the more uh, the passage that everyone thinks of. 
uh, he, he very uh, slowly walks through everything. So let's look at this, how to verbally love our wives. Number one, we could start with the words, I love you, right? Uh, your wife should never wonder if she is loved by her husband. Uh, there's a movie we, my wife and I used to watch years ago. We actually rewatched it several months ago because it's a comedy. We needed to laugh. And, um, you know, they're going to renew their vows for their 40th anniversary, whatever it was, 25, whatever it was. And uh, the husband doesn't like the idea of spending money on something that's pointless, right? I mean, has this conversation ever, ever happened, you know, like with the wedding? And he says, Honey, I said I do, and I did, didn't I? Isn't that good enough? And the answer is, of course, to her, it's, it's not. Like he's visual, she is verbal, and that reaffirmation would mean the world to her. And the affirmation of friends and family they've, they've built along the way, have their daughters come and to celebrate in this renewal of the vows was very important to her. I came across uh, Harry S. Truman. Some uh, letters a few years ago came out, about 1,300 letters, recently discovered letters came out, of President Truman writing to his wife, Bess. And, they, and he had a general rule, and the rule was that any time he or she were out of town and they weren't together, he would write her a letter. And they have found over 1,300 of these. Now think about that. Even at the very climax of World War II, when we're dropping bombs and debating if we should send troops or atomic weapons to Japan, not to mention the Korean War and everything else, when all of that was going on at the most stressful part of the presidency, he would take time out of his day, if, if either one of them was, was, was away from the other, to write a note. Our wives should never know that they are not loved. Secondly, uh, compliment, not criticize. We men see, through the, see the world through sports and problems, right? right? And that's the way we, we, we got something to, to, to fix or something to triumph. That's the way we, we, we view the world. And that's why a, a guy movie has to do with saving the princess, stopping the end of the world, uh, uh, or accomplishing some goal, right? It's, it's, it's very quest-driven, our more guide directed towards, towards men. That's, that's how, how we think. Uh, there, there needs to be a, a quest or we need to fix a problem. So either we need to achieve something or fix something. So either we see our partner as a member of our team or helping us solve whatever problem that we are solving. That is not how women think. It's the old joke, and every couple's gone through this, is uh, she expresses a problem, and what does he do? He wants to fix it. She gets mad because he is offering to fix it. He gets mad because she doesn't want him to fix it, which then makes him wonder, why did you bring it up in the first place? Okay? I showed this video years ago here at the church. It's probably been three, four, or five years ago. It's, it's, uh, the, the camera uh, starts to zoom out, and, and, but you first hear uh, the wife expressing her own uh, hurts and pains and emotions to her husband. And, and, and as the camera pulls out, you realize that the two of them are sitting on the couch, and what is, what is protruding out of the forehead of the wife is a nail. Just, just a nail sticking out there. And you see the husband waiting for her to finish a thought. You know, insert joke there. In order for him to fix it. And she's like, there is a pain right here. And I don't know, I, I, I just don't know what to do about it. It just won't go away. And she's going on and on. And finally, she takes a breath and he says, well, honey, you know, there's a nail in your forehead she says, why do you always do that? Why do you try to fix things? And on and on and on, you know, all that. And, and, and he goes, I'm sorry, dear. 
that must be really difficult for you. And she says, thank you. And they go on and on. She goes, you are so sweet. And they lean in the kiss. And of course they can't because there's a nail sticking out of her forehead. And when she says, ouch, he looks at her and she says, don't. Right. And that's the end of it. Right. That's the end of it. Well, that's 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 women are verbal. Men want to fix things. So we can say, I love you all day long, but if we are constantly critical and demeaning, they are empty words. This is particularly important when she is not around. If our children hear us constantly criticizing our bride, uh, what will they learn to be acceptable behavior? You can say whatever you want about mom so long as she doesn't hear you. And, and, and this, this will be the same problem, by the way, with how a bride speak of their husbands behind his back. That is perhaps one of the worst ways to disrespect a a husband. So we must seek to bless our wives and lead others to praise her. Thirdly, be quick to serve and slow to demand. The old saying is actions speak louder than words, but there is some truth to it. So long as we understand that actions must be accompanied with words. Expressing love is one step. Showing love is the rest of the journey. In the New Testament, love of Christ is more than a statement, but an action. After all, he didn't just say he loved us, gave us a hug, and went back to heaven. He told us he loved us, and he demonstrated by the cross. So love must not only be verbalized, it must be demonstrated. And I, I, th- I, think, he, I think he hints of that here. Again, we're only just looking at bits and pieces of, of Song of Psalm, and maybe we can go down to verse 15. Here, here you go, ladies. You can uh, tell your, your husbands to have this memorized. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Now, I'm not much of a bird guy, but that sounds really nice. <laughs> right? I mean, if, I mean, it would make sense if, if he said your eyes are like cardinals, right? I mean, am I right? High five on that? Yeah, that's, that's right. High five, right? High three. That's, that's all we need. Just a thing. What'd you call me? Well. All right. Turn with me quickly to chapter five. If, if he loves her, if he, if he verbalizes his love for his wife, she verbally respects her husband. And we see this in verses 10 to 16. A little bit of context here. The groom and her bride have just had a marriage fight. Aren't you glad that marriages don't have fights anymore? I mean, we have learned so much from the generations that precede us. We don't make the same mistakes, right? Aren't you glad? I mean, imagine what it would have been like to live in an ancient world where husband and wife got in a fight. And you know what her excuse was? You can read it there, I believe it's chapter 4. She was ready for bed and had a headache. He comes home late from work. He's had a very stressful day. He needs to see his wife. And she says, I just got out of the tub. Not tonight. I don't want to be bothered. And this is a source of conflict. Uh, what he does, he slams the door, causes a fit and all this other stuff. And, and so we get here uh, a marriage fight. And, and so he runs off and she responds by realizing the error of uh, her mistake. And so she pursues him. And so she's going around asking everyone, have you seen my groom? Have you seen the one who my soul loves, right? I mean, it's the way you talk. Uh, if you put it in King James, it's even more spiritual. And, and it is in this context, right, when she has lost her husband, 
that she then speaks of her admiration of him. Now, um, the bride praises the groom for, for outward and inwardly, right? So let's, let's read it. Notice verse 10, he is handsome. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousands. He is handsome. She mentions his head, verse 11. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. That's how we know Song of Song was a hippie. Look at those long locks he's got going on there, right? But you, 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 you see... See what he's saying there. His eyes there in verse 12. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks in verse 13. His cheeks are like the bed of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. Now, I, I must say uh, there that that is a line. Verses 12 and 13 are two things a woman would point out about a man and that a man could not care less about what anyone thinks. Chances are, ladies, at some point, you said to your significant other, I've always loved your eyes. And he looked at you with those same eyes thinking, what in the world does that mean? Right? Who, who cares? Had you not told me 10,000 times that your makeup wouldn't match your, your, your eye color, I would have never known what your eye color was, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's not what he's going to say. What he'll say is, yes, dear. Uh-huh. Right? That's what he'll say. Um, and then notice their cheeks. Of course, he had a beard. You know, he wouldn't have to worry that, about that problem, right? No. Um, but, but these are sort of things that, that make sense from a woman's perspective to, to comment on. Verse 14, his strength. Now we're getting somewhere, right, men? His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. Again, I don't understand all that language because this isn't the sort of language I use. But it sounds to me like she's saying he is strong. I feel safe in his arms. Uh, verse 16, his mouth, uh, verse 15 mentioned his legs. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance are like Lebanon choice cedars. Verse 16, his mouth, his mouth is most sweet. He is altogether desirable. She loves to kiss him. So you see the outward expression of her affection, right? He is unique. He, he, he is everything I've ever won. He is the definition of handsome. He is the definition of all that I have ever desired. But she also describes him inwardly. Again, you, you can go back to verse 10. She describes him as being distinguished. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. It isn't just that I find him handsome, but I find him far and above all other men. And so she reminds him and everyone else because she's, she's lurking for him. That of all the men in the world, he is her only choice. And, and this is love in the midst of a constant competition and self-doubt. Notice at the end of verse 16, she describes him as her best friend. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So, so, so she, she admires him. Um, you see, a man understands and is willing to battle in war all day at work and anywhere else. But the one place he cannot fight is at home, and she realizes that. We're going to see that with David next week with, with McCall. She expresses her friendship with her husband. Look, ladies, let me encourage you. Do not underestimate your man's needs to be respected. If you want to know how you can improve your relationship right now, it will be this issue. You can love your husband 
by respecting him. Can I, can I tell you, this, this is every relationship does, particularly young relationships. You, maybe eventually you figure out or you kill each other trying. But um, what we think is, is that my language of love, they speak the same language. And it doesn't work that way. Why? Because here's a little secret you won't hear on CNN. Men and women are different. Ladies, if you try to love your husband by teaching him how you want him to love you, by loving him that way, he ain't going to get the message. He's sleeping through that class. He will fail to the glory of God, right? But if you love him the way he needs you to love him, and, and men, if, if, if you will love your wife the way you, uh, she needs you to love her, then you're on to something. Again, we reference it here this morning. Husbands, love your wives. Later, Paul will say, love your wives in an understanding way. She's different from you. Paul will write in Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And then he adds, And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Both are true. Most fights are found when men fail to properly love their wives, when wives fail to properly respect their husbands. Look, let me give you some insight, ladies. Men fear two things, okay? They fear two things in life. If you can figure this out, you can figure out your man. We are not that complicated, I assure you, right? Uh, we, we, we are not that complicated. We fear failure. We fear inadequacy. Two things we fear above all else. The way I, I like to put this is uh, every man wants to accomplish two great things in life. Number one, he wants to make his father proud. Every man wants to make his father proud. Number two, he wants to prove his father-in-law wrong, right? Both of those are equally important, right? Right? You know what, I, you know what I'm talking about, ladies. Oh, man, if you really knew what my father thought of my husband, right? He, he just, at first, he's like... This is the guy I've loved you all these years, and this is the guy you bring home. And his goal before long is to prove father-in-law wrong, right? And if he can accomplish both of those things, he will die a happy man. He will die a happy man. Why? He fears two things, failure and inadequacy. Notice one will feed the other. Inadequacy feeds failure. Failure will fear the sense of inadequacy. You see, I can handle failure if I know my wife respects me more than I can handle success if I know my wife does not respect me. This is true for the far majority of, of men. We see that with David, don't we? Wait till next week how David responds to the disrespect of his wife. So men really only have two choices there, and they're both bad. They can scream, they can fight, and they can shout, and they'll be labeled an abuser and a bully. Or they can curl up into a ball. And they've completely been emasculated. It's a lose-lose proposition if they're not respected. Men feel failure and inadequacy. In his book, Love and Respect, I would recommend it to you. It's pretty straightforward. It's a bit too long, but it's a pretty straightforward book. He calls this the crazy cycle. When the wife feels unloved, she will withhold respect. When the husband feels disrespect, he withholds love. And what we do is we think if I punish them, they will repent in tears and ashes. What happens is you end up punishing each other. And so you don't have shared love. What you get is more conflict. And to say what we had this morning, you will deal with the surfacey stuff and not the root issue. So then, ladies, how can you respect your husband? First of all, there are thoughts of respect. As we saw this morning, it's the root issue begins in the heart. Disrespect starts in the heart. If you think a little of your husband, you will not be able to hide it for long. Look at McCall. She stands away from Israel. She's the only person in all of Israel in the narrative not celebrating. Everyone is celebrating with her husband except for his wife, who's the only person he really cares about celebrating with is his wife because no one can replace her. 
And she is there in the second floor window looking down, ashamed. She had disdain for her husband. If you find yourself complaining more about your husband than being thankful for him, especially around your closest friends, mother, sisters, then you in your heart and mind truly disrespect him. And the proper response is respect. Words of respect is another way. That we express words of respect, affirmation, and all, all, all of that sort of stuff. One of the things I've noticed, we, the truth is men and women never leave middle school. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I'm not sure we ever leave recess. That's elementary school. Uh, and I think there's some real truth to that. Uh, we never really grow up. Uh, you ever see a little boy, particularly little boy, he's got that baseball bat. And what does he say? Hey, mama, watch what I can do. He's got that little basketball. Right? And you know, he didn't stand a chance. He's going to say, mama, watch what I can do. Right? He's, he's, he's going to race dad. He's going to say, mama, watch how fast I am. Your husband really isn't much different. Affirmation, words of respect. You guys think I'm joking. You ask him right when he's about to fall asleep because you're going to do that anyway, so we might as well make it productive, right? And, and, and then, you, then, then maybe he'll, he'll be more willing to be open up. Finally, deeds of respect. Deeds of respect can include respecting his judgments. Look, I, I know it's in vogue now to treat men like we're a bunch of ignoramuses. Your husband is not a fool and never appreciates being treated like one. I, 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 can, I can take you where I was. I took a little picture of it. The commercial was a Home Depot commercial. Maybe, maybe you remember this. Um, the, it's a husband and wife are at Home Depot. And, and he is trying to express, we need this. And, and the guy at Home Depot isn't getting it. So the wife comes along and takes control. And the whole time, the husband is a bumbling moron. I remember at that point, I thought, okay, it's not funny anymore. By the way, we do the same thing with pastors. Look, every pastor you've seen in a movie is one of two things. One, he's an incompetent root, or secondly, he is a monster. Watch any Disney movie where there's a wedding and go look at the priest or pastor. Or watch any movie where the pastor is the center of the story and he's a molester or he is greedy or he is something. Right? We, we do the same thing with pastors. Not that I'm sensitive about or anything. Yeah. One counselor wrote, quote, several men confessed that they felt like their opinions and decisions were actively valued in every area of their lives except at home. Some men felt that their comrades at work trusted their judgment more than their own wives did. Respect his judgment, respect his abilities. We've already said this, men need affirmation and appreciation. Much in the same way, women need the same thing from their husbands. It's just more verbalized. In fact, I've been watching uh, Duck Dynasty again. Uh, you can judge me on that. And every time Willie tries to prove his manhood, you, you know what? Uh, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. His, his wife. You know, she, it, it's sort of a joke in the show, uh, but it's not like a, a, you know, like ha-ha joke. But it's sort of like, here we go again. Uh, Corey's her name. She sits on the sidelines. She says, good job, babe. And that's it. And he goes back to swinging the tennis racket, whatever it is. Way to go, babe. You know, and he's, he's, he's looking like a buffoon, right? And he just, just okay, let's go get, get something to eat, right? But she's at least trying. 
to show affirmation and appreciation. Finally, respect his needs. Respect his needs. Men are different than, than, than women. Women are different than men. And ladies, as you would expect your husband to be sensitive to your needs at all times, men need you to be sensitive to their needs at all times. Whatever those needs might be, and those needs may evolve over time. If you want to respect your husband, respect him in thoughts, respect him in words, respect him in deeds. So although we are looking at a terrible example of this in 2 Samuel 6, it's good to know that the Bible provides us and shows us a way um, how we can do, do it better in Song of Solomon. If only Solomon, like us, would heed his own advice. Husbands, love your wives in an understanding way. Wives, see it to it, you respect your husbands. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.